even if I'm not at the moment actively doing anything anti-capitalist at the moment, but just understanding that this life doesn't have to be this way and it and it hasn't always been this way. And it's not that I'm looking for some kind of like utopia in which no one works. That's not realistic. That's not what I want. Um, but I don't, I just think that there can't be only two ways of like communism or capitalism. How in a world of possibilities with all this diversity in the world, how can there only be two forms Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. This podcast is sponsored by the World Energy and Meteorology Council, or WEMSI for short. WEMSI is an international organisation focused on weather and climate data to support energy transition, and we also work with educators. WEMSI have created TEAL, an easy-to-use, free visualisation tool that enables you to explore climate variables for the past 70-plus years. Get started at tealtool.earth. Find us at WEMCouncil.org and follow us on Twitter at WEMCouncil. Hi everybody, welcome back to Coffee and Geography and um, I hope last week you enjoyed the 50th episode special and now I'm on the running to 100 now and what an amazing person to start this next run of 50 podcast episodes because it's someone i've been hoping to chat to for a while an amazing cat po hello cat hi how are you doing i'm good it's half term so i'm very happy not to be at work today yeah no i know that feeling i know that feeling it's you're, you're not you're not trying to catch up on work too much are you i hope not too much i think today is the only day i'm gonna do any work but the other days are packed <laughs> Of course. So folks who are not of the uh, in the UK um, education system. So what we have in the UK is we have um, a week off um, in between in the middle of semesters, if you so wish, and we call them half terms. So so we all have a week off. And for once, all the schools, I believe I could be wrong, but I think all the country for the first time or for a rare occasion has this half term holiday aligned because of the Queen's Jubilee uh celebration i'm not going to talk too much about the queen's jubilee for many reasons but just to give the reason why we have our half terms all at the same time so yeah right so i'm going to introduce you and i'll tell you what cat you have one of the most lovely introductions because <laughs> of what you've put here and i'm just going to let people feel this right because this is amazing so here we go folks Capo is a geography teacher who is big on environmental philosophy, critical feminist, feminism and indigenous geographies. She has always felt sensitive to the environment around her, be it built or grown. Weather, climate, birds, buildings, light and trees have always changed how cat feels in the world and therefore who she is in it. The shifting cat senses from subtle changes in the seasons, from smells of spring and sounds of swift in the summer have always evoked changes in her too. And being in this close relationship to the environment has made Kat curious to explore and understand it on a personal level. That's just such a lovely <laughs> Oh, it's been very poetic when I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it did. It seriously did come across a bit poetic. Um, and I guess when you have such a deep connection to such kind of like 
things that have rhythm and things that have such a you know that beautiful process like nature does I suppose it can be poetic yeah I feel like it's at once really beautiful and this is going to sound even more waxing lyrical but also a bit painful I feel like being that sensitive to nature means that you know not all environments are nice and not all you know not all weather is good um not all weather makes yeah. people good um so yeah I feel in that sensitivity to my environment um yeah there's good there's good and there's bad but I think that's just embracing what the world is you know what this is very true because um towards the end of the last season when I spoke to my friend uh, Ro Proctor they said that um we were talking about kind of like autism and neuro neurodivergency and things like that and how we said that we both have this kind of like almost hypersensitivity when it comes to connections to nature and I think you're right because on one hand it could be quite excruciating especially when there's like human interference of of nature like you know cars droning and unnatural sounds and stuff like that but then what Rose said they said that when they go work walking in say like a forest they could pick up so many more sounds and nuances and things like that and when they touch like the bark of the trees and they just feel such this deeper connection so yeah i suppose that's, you're right it can cut both ways <laughs> yeah it can be well that's interesting to talk about sort of like sensory overload because actually i was recently diagnosed with adhd and okay. you know that also has like you know sensory issues there and I also have hearing issues and I recently had an operation back in December um to improve my hearing um and that's really good because I haven't really been hearing properly since I was a child and so I can now hear more background noise which is really good when you're in a forest um but less good when you're in a city where I live in London <laughs> and yeah. so hearing like the sounds of cars and planes and just like all of that has been like very overwhelming so I guess yeah and that sort of sensitive I wonder that sensitivity nature does have something to do with you know our ability to uh not be I, with ADHD you can't uh it's like a being able to like filter different senses um can be difficult with processing there so I wonder I wonder has that got anything to do with it wow I, I didn't know that about you that's really interesting and I mean has are you are you still going through? Because if you spent so long having a certain level of mm. hearing, which is also, as you were saying, like tied to like ADHD and stuff like that, have you found that this has been a very long period of adjustment? Is is it something yeah. that you've, if you have to kind of almost re, I don't know, change the way that you kind of go about doing things? Definitely. Like it's it's been a big adjustment. I had to take two weeks off work because I just couldn't cope with the noise. Like um, I had... Um, tinnitus for a bit um like it's, i think it's called like pulsular or pulsatile oh. tinnitus where you could literally hear your pulse um and so that's yes, gone now yeah. thankfully um but just yeah just my the first two weeks after getting that surgery where i could hear more it was very difficult coping with the level of background noise um but yeah it has been adjustment definitely adjustment in schools um, I realize how loud schools are. I mean, it has helped yeah. because I can actually hear the students at the back of the class now. Instead <laughs> right, of having yeah. to be like, excuse me, wait, what did you say? Which is what I'd usually be. And oh my gosh, when there, when there were masks in school, it was just a nightmare. I could not, I just, the kids would say something, I'd go, hmm, yes, interesting. Because <laughs> I just couldn't ask them for a third time. Um, oh. But yeah, so I think, you know, things like, there, yeah, there's adjustments like, whenever there's a school bell I just had to like plug my ears and there are just things but I had a hearing therapy 
um, session that the NHS organised to help me with this. And the woman basically just said, you have to get used to it. So you have to stop like wearing earplugs when you go outside. You just have to like be able to pro- like learn to process these noises. So I'm trying to microdose loud noises now and try not to plug my ears when the bell rings <laughs> which is difficult i crowd out those loud noises this see this is all this is, this is all this insight which is like so fascinating for me and i guess what a lot of people don't don't realize i mean because i mean would you classify this may be a personal question which of course you may well skip if you so wish but do you classify it or would you disclose it say on an employer form or something as a disability no no because I don't feel like it necessarily interferes that much with my working day um I mean the surgery like obviously I had to take two weeks off work so that was yeah a bit tricky but that was like a one-time surgery thing um so yeah I don't know it's 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 strange I think it it has it has changed it's definitely changed the way I am in the world it's it's really nice in a forest um but it's really made me sensitive to a city um but i'm adjusting i'm getting there oh well thank you for sharing that with us um (laughs) but that's just that's a really fantastic insight i think for a lot of people and like just another example of these seemingly small little things which seem like it like you just had your hearing tweets but then it can have this massive impact and like all brings again that isn't that, that question about accessibility um mm-hmm. and we've got because i you know i'm just thinking now cat you know sit when i've got those 30 kids sitting in front of me in the classroom i'm thinking you know of course your your um your attention's going to be on those children who have got very clear and visible disabilities so i was thinking there was two students in particular there was one who was who was clinically blind right um he had very poor sight in you know any printouts you did and the exam papers like had to be like size like 48 font or something like that is you know he it was almost to the point where he may as well have been learning braille right um and we had to actually paint the school stairs bright yellow because in order to help him get around so that was obviously an obvious obvious thing and there was a couple of students of course we had to sit at the front of the classroom who were hearing aids but what about those students who do have overactive ears that produce wax and so they can't you know because that happens to me you know if i put i had to stop wearing earplugs because my ears got plugged up with lots of stuff because i produced a lot of earwax just tmi everybody um <laughs> but yeah these things we we don't really think about do we as, as teachers that's, that's a really interesting insight yeah, I do definitely think about um, disabilities or neurodiversity that isn't immediately visible. I think, you know, we often notice uh, autism in boys and we notice um, students that have ADHD um, on the hyperactivity side of ADHD. And I think having been diagnosed very recently with ADHD, I feel way more attuned to neurodiversity that isn't immediately obvious. Um, and I, I mean, I've been a bit on a bit of a rampage anytime I like, suspect a student might have a bit of ADHD or awesome. I like fill out lo- like lots of forms like very quickly because I feel way more in tune with students that aren't that may have overcompensated so that overcompensated with their neurodiversity, which is what I was like when I was younger. I mean, I was, I was very well behaved in school and I worked really hard and I got really high grades, 
but I did not listen in class. I couldn't listen in class. And I still, I still cannot listen in a group setting. Just any staff briefings, this is me coming out as I cannot listen in a staff briefing. And I never have been able to listen in lectures at university. I can't do it. I never would be able to listen in class. I was always that that friend who would have to turn to the person next to me after we were told to get on with the task and say, wait, what are we doing? That was always my life. And I think I was able to get away with it because I performed really well and I worked really hard and I had to work. I don't think I realized how much I had to overcompensate to work really hard. I mean, my whole A-level was basically going to the classes, doing whatever worksheet I was told to do, but realizing that I wasn't taking in anything and then having to go home and actually study the exact lesson that I had to do in my textbook after. And that was my entire sixth form life that But I didn't, I thought that was me revising, but that was me actually dealing with having ADHD without realizing it. And I think there are a lot of students out there that I can just tell that even though they do really well, they're not listening to what I'm saying. And I can just see that like they're really, their inattentiveness is really, really apparent, even though they're quiet. Um, And yeah, I think I'm just, when it comes to sort of, you know, neurodiversity or disabilities that aren't visible, I think. I definitely have a lot more empathy and awareness um, having learned about my own sort of diversity there. So this is, this is something that, I mean, I'm reflecting back now, like just, just it's so hard to have patience when you're in such a high intensity job like teaching, but I think we all educators and as teachers need to have more patience and, and always the, the, the thing I've, I've, I realized as I was coming towards the end of my teacher career is always think think of the best not the worst so if if a kid says what are we doing i didn't understand uh i can you repeat that or you know like don't jump to the, the like the worst which is oh you weren't listening you know or you were mucking about or whatever always jump to the the possibility that there was something genuine there so i was like okay would you like me to explain it in a different way shall i come and explain it to you um face you know one-on-one you know always offer that first you know, because it could be, as you say, probably nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, it probably is the reason there was just something that's making it inaccessible for them. Yeah. So and it's a really having good things written point. down as well. I'm mm. really, I'm really guilty of if we go on a tangent in class and then that I decide that actually let's answer this question. And then I know that there are some students that probably haven't followed because there's not something on the board there. Um, I think, yeah, having things written down would have really helped me when I was younger, knowing what to do when it came to doing the independent work. And another reason why uh, you non-teachers listening, you need to give, you know, teachers, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt sometimes. There's all these things to cope with. Um, you mentioned you're in a big city, which is, of course, the capital. Yeah. Um, and you're in... Um, I believe you're at least where you work in a part of the world, which I have family roots, which is Hackney. Yeah. So uh, uh, my, my dad's from Mile End, from Stepney. Right. Uh, yeah. So I got some Cockney blood in me, my old child. <laughs> yeah. uh, and when I first, when I first started teaching, like, the kids couldn't understand me because I had quite a strong Essex Cockney hybrid accent. Um, and I would muck about and say to the kids, you know, come on, go up the apples of pears to be classroom, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what's it? I mean, you, you mentioned about the noise that are hustle and the bustle, but is, is it a place you nevertheless enjoy living in? Is, do you always wish you could be a little bit further out into the suburbs or into the rural area? So how is London for you? Oh, London, that's a big question. I grew up in London, so I'm very familiar with the city. Um It has, London is, 
it's a tricky one for me. I grew up in northwest London in Hendon, kind of in the suburbs. And I've moved like into the city. And I think there are so many things exciting about London that I really do love. Um, but uh, a lot of my friends actually have moved out of London. And so that's a little bit tricky with sort of navigating friendships. And as London is so big, even if you do live in the same city, it can be quite difficult to see people. So yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I still don't know South London very well. I still don't know lots of West London very well. It's There are so many parts of London that I just don't know. And I do work in Hackney, but I am actually moving to a school um, in South London now. And so I will be commuting every day all the way down south. Wow, which will down be a south. Minute, yeah, which will be a 50-minute journey um, door to door. Um, but yeah, I... I feel conflicted about how I feel about London. There's many things that make me want to stay here, um, but I do have a feeling of wanting to explore outside of the UK. Um, but yeah, I there's lots of factors going on. Uh, yeah, and we could probably do a whole conversation about that. And uh, yeah, congratulations on your new job. And of course, um, and the people you're going to work with. I I'm know. just so jealous. This is like the geography department from heaven, you <laughs> know. So a big shout out to Rachel and Nona. We know that they're listening. And uh, my God, like if if you like if you folks are like we're gonna have, we need a fourth or fifth member, you know, let me know. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be good, the thing is going to be a good department. I'm really looking forward to, um, yeah, being in a getting to be in a department with people I actually know. <laughs> should be really fun yeah and not only that but um you know the fact that you kind of you're different enough where when you combine your efforts you're going to have such you know diverse range of ideas and and ways of thinking ways of going forward and you've got different levels of experience and expertise and stuff like that but your your worldviews and your priorities and the way that you look at life is very much aligned that you're all going to be singing off the same hymn shit. I've realized I've just used two, you know, spiritual kind of analogies there. And I'm being an atheist, you know, oh, department from heaven, you know, oh, I don't just, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm so, so excited. And I know that you folks are going to be a, a, a real force. Um, and I think that also, I, you know, when, when there's going to be those times of, of, of stress and pressure, which always happens within departments, I just feel that you're going to be like a really, really fantastic supportive group for each other. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, I'm so jealous. You can tell like, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think the community in which you work is really, really important. And it really yeah, is. I'm definitely looking excited to, yeah, to having that kind of relationship within department. Well, I'm going to say it now, right. Um, if you're going to have some kind of event taking place and you know, my skills are, could be, we'll, we'll, be we'll be pulling you in. I, 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 I don't mind coming to visit for a half a day or something. It's a decolonizing geography. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for you. So congratulations on that. And uh, which brings me on to the next talking point. So uh, I'm actually just going to read, read, read this out and we could take it from here just because again, just the way that you write is just so lovely. So we mentioned there about decolonizing geography, which, we're, we're a member of uh and you've put here like an experience in the world as a mixed race queer woman you're clearly aware of how the personal is always political god yes um but geography education has given uh, you a powerful lens to understand the pol political codes in which shape and aim to distort how how we and other humans live our lives um and yeah this this really sang to me you said here i've always rebelled against the idea of things are the way that they are you know because mm -hmm. like 
and you're right and you put here because that feels defeatist and depressing like but this is the bit that i um i really love you got here like being able to uh uncover the power of relations underpinning at times this makes me feel like neo when he can finally see the matrix just with a little less little less lever and guns but i will tell you cat and everybody now i would so cosplay as trinity like i would so oh yeah like, I, yeah me too i i i, I do actually i said a little left leather but i actually have a really great leather jacket that i've been wearing a lot lately um oh. I, don't, I don't have guns i don't have guns thankfully <laughs> um yeah yeah no. like, sometimes i feel like that's such a cringy thing to say but i honestly do feel like neo sometimes when i think about social constructs i think i really felt depressed about the way things are um i think Growing up, I think I genuinely thought that I would be able to opt out of capitalism. I thought there would be a way that I would, um, that I saw the way that people were living their lives and working and things like that. And I looked at it and I thought, you know what, I don't think that's for me. Um, I'm not going to do that. And I felt that way pretty much the whole way through university kind of really like, oh, I don't need to think about what I'm going to do with my life because I don't know. Maybe I was in denial. I was like, I, surely, surely I'm going to be different to everyone else. I've decided I'm not going to. I'm not going to be someone who works. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm. I don't have that kind of intergenerational wealth, um, despite what this accent sounds like. Um, <laughs> and so, I after graduating, I really, I really went through a very low time in which I hadn't really thought of what I wanted to do I'd focus so much on university and dis- my dissertation and I just hadn't really thought about what I wanted to do with my life because I thought it was almost capitalist to have a think about what you want to do for your career and so when I got right. to that stage when I was 22 and I had just graduated I was in such the graduate abyss I was totally lost I was just really I lived in Sheffield I was doing a whole load of temp jobs in which I worked at a hotel one day. I worked in the Orchard Dales in a primary school as a pot wash for one week. It was just, I was doing all these different jobs, just not knowing what I was doing with my life. And I really just felt this way of like, why, like realizing firstly, I couldn't opt out of um, work, work, like uh, pay, wage labor. And secondly, like what wage labor could I do? And where were my skills? I had no experience. I just, yeah, I really, I really felt totally lost. And I think that kind of depressing feeling of talking to loads of people at that time and talking to a lot of adults and everyone was just saying the same thing to me, like, oh, this is just the way things are. Um, this is this is just what life is. And yeah, yeah. I felt on the one hand, it was extremely privileged and naive of me to think that I would not have to participate in this world um but i think it just the way that we live fundamentally feels weird wrong alien to me the way that we divide up our communities the way we're individuals in these weird pods the lack of community just feels so wrong in my soul was as the handle puts it athens and lemons yeah yeah and i i feel i feel really strongly that I don't agree with I don't agree with the way that we live. I'm not I'm not anti-work. I'm anti-wage work, but I'm I'm want community. And I think particularly after university, as most people go through, when everyone starts to split off to their separate cities and to their separate relationships, it's 
you realize how like atomized your like life is um and mm. i feel like capitalism divides up communities and part of the reason why actually a lot of my friends well the main reason why most of my friends don't live in london is because of how expensive it is and they've like have chosen to like live in cities that are much cheaper and that to me feels like an injustice and that feels unfair that people that were born uh, like you know anyone should be able to live in London but I feel a certain sense of injustice that my friends and my community that was in London has had to has been fractured by the expense not only the expense but also I guess like you know how hustling bustling London is but yeah that's that's how I feel (laughs) that's my depressing take on um why I feel frustrated but I do feel that geography you know I don't want to think that it's just theory that gives me the ability to see out of it but definitely learning more about anti-capitalism and um just just understanding that we don't have to live this way even if I'm not at the moment actively doing anything anti-capitalist at the moment but just understanding that this life doesn't have to be this way and it and it hasn't always been this way and it's not that I'm looking for some kind of like utopia in which no one works that's not realistic that's not what I want um but I don't I just think that there can't be only two ways of like communism or capitalism how in a world of possibilities with all this diversity in the world how can there only be two forms two ways of living there can't be um and I know there are lots of other you know forms of living like like communal areas but I don't feel like isolating myself from the world I don't feel like that's right and Yes, I've chosen a job that means I don't have to stare at a computer all day because that's what I was doing before teaching in a charity. Um, yeah, I feel I feel like at least like critical thinking has given me a sense of even if it's just in my mind that I don't have to live this way, <laughs> even though it might be at the time. But there is there there are alternatives, there are forms of community, even though perhaps at the moment I don't feel like it. And COVID has really messed that up. But yeah, yeah, that's my rant. <laughs> Well, it's a good run, and it's it's something I I really do identify with myself. Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating, and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. I've I've always felt uncomfortable with the way you know that that everything is structured, site is structured, and and having young kids now who you know you you feel like you're holding back the tide when it comes to things like not being materialistic, trying to see the intrinsic value of things rather than the extrinsic. You know, just you know, trying to do away with things being disposable and it could just be replaced it's all about you're right it is so 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 difficult when the your entire um system is structured around that certain thing and and um what i try and do is i try and what can i do with the privilege and the position that i have to kind of play the system or circumnavigate it so what i kind of the things that i kind of try and do here is for example i've apart from when i was young and I was really young and I'm talking about in high school when I was doing like odd weekend jobs apart from those little tiny jobs earning minimum wage I have not worked and I never will work um to 
uh, for uh, for anything that's profit based. So when I was in education, you know that was great. That suited me fine. Um, when I was and then, then I worked for a nonprofit, um, and now I work, you know, for the University of Sangria in outreach. So I just I just don't feel like it. And as you know, and then when there was the academization of schools came in, that I was deeply uncomfortable with that. Deeply uncomfortable with that. Um, because folks who don't know what that happened, it was it was basically um, schools being pretty much run and taken over by corporations and businesses at a charitable kind of basis. But when that happens, you've got to question the motivations of why these these organisations do that. Eight percent of schools are academies now. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's hard. Um, so what I would um, and then what I would do, of course, is that I would try and engage in the circle of economy. So I like I hardly ever buy brand new stuff anymore um and i would just try and create uh, a, a system where where money goes around in a circle so i'm very much of a you know subscribe to kate rayworth's you know circle economy kind of donut economy donut economics kind of stuff so i want to get kate on this podcast <laughs> um and yeah it's it's my way of coping and whenever i get enough money and i like how jeremy patrick put this a few episodes ago i like trying to pay my privilege forward so if I get enough disposable income after all my expenses, I like to give it away to charity. I like to in, invest it in ethical stuff, you know, or if or do something which reduces my impact on the world. So it by proxy, it doesn't impact someone else so much. So that's my way of like using the system to kind of not be not contribute to the harm that it does does that make any sense <laughs> yeah that makes complete sense I feel like I tried to do that through teaching um but I feel like the best way I feel like I can help uh, as along with the things I do in my personal life is allow students to have some critical thoughts and to be to have critical yeah. reflection over their lives that's something that I try to instill into people is to question things and if that's if I I feel like any success in teaching is when students have become curious about something and have questioned something. That's when I feel like I've done my job. Yeah, yeah, it it feels it feels difficult sometimes when you think about the mountain of capitalism and imperialism and patriarchy that is beyond. But it's about finding, I guess, termite theory and sort of getting that the small things to sort of collapse it and that quiet politics of your everyday sort of resistance that help keep you mentally stable <laughs> yeah because the system we've got folks you know we could you could say that we're romantic libs all this kind of stuff whatever but at the end of the day like we've had this system now for you know a couple of hundred years at least even more than that and you know look where it's led us it's led us to greater inequality you know it's not made life better and this is the and the gen you know generation like like cat's generation is the first generation in a long while which is poorer than the generation that came before it so there is obviously something not right with the system we yeah. have so that, and that's well, that's, that's not us yeah. There's no way where I think about like will yeah. I be able to live in London? Probably not. Well, even the suburb, it's like like the school where I used to teach at. You know, the house prices were so extortionate because it was on the edge of Norwich, and they built new houses. None of it was affordable. So, kids who grew up in that area could not stay in the area because they could not afford to move to their own house. They had to stay living with their parents or move away. Yeah, and in their twenties and thirties, it's like it's not right. It's not right. Yeah. Um. We've only got a few minutes left, Kat, which is, I really want to talk about and get this through before we do it. Um, you're going to spill the beans now. 
about uh, George Michael, right? Let's end on a positive. George Michael, right? So, because you you really do connect with him. So rather than me um, kind of reading out what you put about George Michael, come on, spill the beans. What is it that really endears you to George Michael? Okay. Firstly, I think when I was younger, watching Wake Me Up Before You Go, that video awoke things for me. (laughs) It's so beautiful and like feminine, masculine, kind of kind of just like an in-between kind of beautiful kind of person and that definitely got my attention of course the music is incredible beautiful voice but really for me I've always felt connected to George Michael because of how unashamed he is of who he is I say I say it as if he's alive I still haven't got over the fact that he's passed away I still talk about him in the present tense um I'm going to continue doing so because in my head he lives on. <laughs> but I just, I love the way he, he's so emotional. And um, when you listen to his um, interviews and his music, he's so sensitive. And that's something I really connect to. I'm also quite a sensitive person. And he really, he's so honest um, about who he is, warts and all. And there's something so genuine about the way he talks about himself and his life that I've always connected to. And I just think that for someone who was like a pop star and, um, you know, had all that fame, he's so down to earth or he was so down to earth. Like he was so down to earth and so funny, um, but open. And I just think that that kind of personality is I feel I feel similar to him I think I, I I identify myself in him and um also you know like being gay that also is a big connection there um I actually once uh I actually once dressed up as George Michael um uh, like a drag king drag king nice. and it was it was great nice. I felt amazing well, with the mullet and everything as well well I had short hair at the time Okay. So I made this like I made a little like foil um like cross like to have my earring. Oh, and sweet. I was, like, it was like it was like faith era, which is like yeah, very cool era. Um but you gotta have faith for faith. Yeah. I can't play music for copyright issues. So I just can't <laughs> Me sing. neither. <laughs> All right. Oh, I think I just can't no, I can't sing. Neither <laughs> um, <laughs> can I. Yeah. But um yeah, I I absolutely adore George Michael. I feel very close to him. And also I found out a few years ago that he was number one when I was born. Oh, what song was that then? Um, it was. Or was it an album or? Oh, what was it? It was oh, fast love. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Which is oh yeah, goodness. it's not my favorite one, but like it's a solid one. It's a solid one. My favorite one. This might surprise people, but my favorite one is not like "Wake Me Up" or you know anything like "Wait Wait Before You Go." It. My favorite one's actually um, oh, the one with Mary J. Blige. Oh, knew you'd be oh. waiting for me. No, oh, I can't. Oh, wait, Mary J. Oh my God, that one. Oh yes, I'm yeah. thinking. Of, sorry, I thought I was thinking of every time. Until the day that eight times eight times eight yes. is four. That one. I can't. I can't believe I remember. That's my favorite one. I can't even remember the name of the leading song. Is it called As? As that's it. As yeah. yeah. I just and the music video, we just like doing that. It's like his classic day. You know, his classic swaying from side to side, clicking these fingers like. You yeah. know, he does that head thing. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm doing Got it in the camera, everybody. <laughs> yeah. He was amazing. The, the and I cat's think, like seeing George Michael through my head movement. Yeah. <laughs> I think also like um, 
his um, Queen performance, you know, at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert um, of Somebody to Love is one of the most oh, amazing performances yeah. ever. And it, it's even sadder when you realise that actually in that time when he um, sang that, his partner, Anselmo, had just been diagnosed, I think, with um, yeah. HIV. And I think he, either that happened or he was waiting for the, those results, but he was also waiting for the results to see if he also had HIV. And so, you know, he had just found love for the first time and then that was being taken away from him and him singing that is just so incredibly emotional at the funeral, um, well, the, the tribute concert, someone who had also died from that disease. So, yeah, I think there's something so emotional and so um, I think it's that beauty and pain that I also see in George Michael that I've always identified with and love. So, yeah, that's a big, big thing for me. Um, I'm glad we got to end on that quite high about George Michael. I was, I was thinking like for me, the same kind of thing for me was like David Bowie. So <laughs> yeah, I do miss David Bowie. Um, and like for a lot of the same, but what I really, what I really like about what you said there as well is like, I think when you get such a big celebrity like that, people are, are more unforgiving about the way they are as human beings, you know, and, you know, just because he was a, world famous pop star didn't necessarily didn't mean that he wouldn't have problems and he had to be completely perfect and almost goes with the what I always call the um the visibility paradox you know where if you're a certain character you have a certain trait a certain protective characteristics you've got to be on your best behavior otherwise you know yeah. you get completely torn and ripped down to pieces and- he really took it in his stride though and mm. he like the way he dealt with all those criticisms and all the you know the homophobic shaming really that's what it was it was it was total homophobia really what he experienced but at the time it wasn't necessarily viewed that way it was viewed as you did this naughty thing and therefore we're going to shame you and the way he dealt with that I felt was really admirable you know like in his interviews just said yep you know that's what I did and uh yes that maybe that wasn't the best idea but that it is what it is and he had his song outside which is hilarious um Oh yeah, and, let's go yeah. outside. As his way of saying, yeah, and as his way of saying, look, yeah, I'm owning it, deal with it, and I'm also putting it in your face. <laughs> exactly. Like he took responsibility, but he wasn't ashamed of himself. And I think I really, I really respected the way he dealt with I, I don't know, you know, obviously I don't know him at all. I didn't know him at all. But the way that he publicly um talked about mental health and homophobia I think really I really connect to and I think um I think that sort of down-to-earth um genuine kind of energy I think is really powerful and something that I really connect to and want to be around so yeah, yeah. I think yeah I think we, we, we could definitely both agree that the folks like you know George Michael David Bowie they are exceptionally empowering human beings and we've we've both you know rest rest in peace both we when we thank you for what you've done for the queer community both of you yeah um so let's finish off with we are all geographers um and before the 50th episode special which you were in but you know because it was the um coffee and geography yeah. conversations which is brilliant double whammy. Con- yeah so we got a double helping of cat everybody yay um that we uh had shanique on uh, Shneek Harris before that on the episode 49, um, which was brilliant. So we're having a string of decolonizing geography folks on, which is brilliant. Um, now, Shanique came up with a word that actually has been said before. So this is the first time in coffee and geography history that we've had a word come up twice, which is absolutely fine. That's no problem at all, because 
the, what, what, how, what you may say may be different from what the person said last time. Um, and that's the word language. Mm. So, so um, what you are going to do now, Kat, is for 30 seconds is just oh riff, riff however you like, however you like with the word language. Language. Yeah. Right so now. It could, be, it could be geographically based. It could be, yeah, it's, it's low stakes. All right. Anything at all I want to say? Yeah, for 30 seconds. When you're ready, I'll start the time. Okay. All right. Um, Language does not only have to be spoken through your words. Oh, spoken through your words. Um, Language is something that transcends, I think, noise sometimes. Language can be through your body, through a look with someone, um, through the way you move together. And I think that that kind of energy between people, a vibe that you have is also language. And it doesn't, yeah, language does not only have to be spoken. That was brilliant. I don't know if that, that makes was, sense at all. That was, no, that was brilliant. That was fantastic. And uh, what's really going to be interesting, I think, if folks, if, I can't remember who, uh, find the episode where the person, to, I, I'll put it in the show notes, yeah? And you can compare. I bet there'll be some overlap, but I really, really do say that. And that's actually really poignant what you said, because, of course, what you were saying a bit earlier about, about you know, with, with noise and, and sensitivity, with, sensitivity with ears now and stuff like that, that actually language you're communicating more than just speaking and through noise, through, yeah, the, the different sounds. I like that. That's great. I think you did really well. <laughs> okay. But you get to have your turn now. So I bet you've, you've wanted to do this for a long time, surely, is to give a word to someone else. Get to, uh, yes. Okay. I think the word I'm going to choose today is genuine. Yeah, genuine. And uh, that's nice because I have always thought of you and you certainly come across to me as a very genuine human being, oh, thank um, you very much. which is... Oh, which is amazing. Okay. We're going to do that, folks, next week, listening for the word genuine. Right. Thanks. So shout outs then. Um, who are we going to say hi to? Oh, who are we going to say hi to? Anyone at all? Anyone at all. Going to say hi to Nona from Decolonizing yep. Geography and Rachel, because I'm joining them in their school. Woo! Um, shout out to... Uh, my parents, my family, everyone. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to all the students that I'm sure will be listening to this. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, like I, I, I would have done the same. It's like, oh yeah, I was on this podcast. If you want to listen, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. And uh, you're on. Um, you have a Twitter account. So, um, and your handle is. It's cat underscore po. I think. Yeah, and so is. folks, um, you know, if you want to connect with with Kat through, uh, if you've identified with the things that you've heard, you know, or through geography or whatever like that, and uh, yeah, so you can George most certainly or George Michael, then there you go. That's how you can connect with Kat online. Well, <clears throat> Kat, this has um, been an absolute delight. I wish we had uh, more time today, but we've managed to squeeze this in. But you know. We've, Yes, you're a very, very busy person, and uh, I believe you've got something else happening today, which uh, I hope that goes well. And um, yeah, oh, I just can't wait to see you again. Um, you know, I already think of you as a really good friend, and yeah, as I said, I'm I'm really envious of uh, this, of where you're going to be in September. But I just know that you folks are going to be amazing. But yeah, three amazing people in one job department. That's just going to be like so cool. This is going to so, be great. Uh, yeah, thank you so, so, so much. Thank you so much.
thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.